Thanks for joining us today for our Freedom Podcast. We are excited to grow with you. Today, you will hear a message from the life-changing Word of God. We hope this podcast adds value to your everyday life. If you want to find out more about this ministry, visit our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. Continuing the series, Truth Over Trend. Truth over trend. What's been really exciting for me is the feedback I've got from a couple of different people that have told me, thank you, Pastor Tony, for sharing some of these truths uh, with us that sometimes we can get mixed up uh, with the voices of this world being so heavy and constant. It's very easy to get mixed up sometimes with what's true and what's not. How many have ever had that mix up before? You kind of heard something, and then later you found out other information. You're like, I feel really badly that I believed that when it wasn't true, or I feel really dumb that I fell for that when it wasn't true. And I believe that the people of God must be exempt from having to go through that because we have the voice of truth that lives within us. Did you know that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you have the voice of truth inside of you? Did you know that? That Holy Spirit that lives in you, you know what I'm talking about when he said don't do that and you know you're not supposed to and you do it anyway and something terribly bad happens or something that you, you know, you were like, oh, I should have known. That little voice, uh, my mom tells me, always listen to that little voice. That little voice is, sometimes that still small voice is the Holy Spirit warning you. You just haven't trained your spiritual ear to hear it and understand it. Is that true? Anybody know what I'm talking about? We've been there, haven't we, where we said, uh, I heard inside of me that I should not have done that, and I should have heard it and heeded it and listened to it, and I did it. Well, following last week's uh, fantastic message by my bride, Alicia, Pastor Alicia uh, showed some things about lies and truth, and we want to continue in this fourth part of the series Truth over trend. I want to talk to you about don't exchange the truth. Don't exchange the truth. So I want you to, if you could, turn with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's located just after 1 Timothy. (laughs) I love that. I don't care how many times I say that. It's always funny. At least to me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Who's got their Bibles? Turn there with me. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. When you got it, say, I got it. We provided a little bit of that on your screen for you, but depending on the version you have, uh, we've provided for you the New International Version, and that's the one I'll read. For the same, oh, excuse me, for the time we, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, that is, that is a, If that is not a picture of today, I don't know what is, right? Because 
I want you to note a couple of things. I need you, if you're taking notes, now's a good time to start. Um, and, and write this thing down. One of the words that stood out to me here, um, if you allow me to kind of teach a little bit this morning, the words put up really stood out to me when I read this verse. For the time will come when the people, what people, will be answered in the moment, will not put up with sound doctrine. So what people is this talking about? What people is this passage talking about? Well, it says the people will not put up with sound doctrine. Who are the ones hearing sound doctrine? The church, right? It's the believers that are hearing, hear me now, they're the ones hearing sound doctrine. People in the world are not hearing sound doctrine. People that don't know Jesus are not hearing sound doctrine. Are you hearing me? They're not. They're hearing every voice that, that flows with whatever they want to believe. So they're not the ones hearing sound doctrine. In fact, it's believers that are hearing sound doctrine and believers that have decided that they no longer are going to, everybody air quote with me, ready? Put up with sound doctrine. You know the people that say, I'm no longer going to put up with this? People that no longer put up are people that are fed up. People that no longer decide to put up are people that are fed up. People that are done. I'm done with this. I am up to here. And for me, that's about five foot five of here. If you're taller, you put up with more. But I am tired of it and I'm put up to, I'm up to here with it and I'm done, right? Listen to me. This is an indictment on the body of Christ. When he's talking here, and Paul writes to Timothy, he says this, because this is not Timothy writing, this is Paul writing to the young pastor Timothy. And he writes these words, for the time will come when people will no longer put up with sound doctrine. You know what they said? I'm tired of hearing it, I don't believe it anymore, I am done. But not only that, the people who no longer are going to put up with sound doctrine are fed up with sound doctrine, and instead, you know what they do? They subscribe to podcasts that have everything to do with nothing. What am I talking about? Friend, listen to me, and listen to me closely. We live in a digital age, and I'm the last person to knock down digital things. I love media. I love the opportunities that we have to change the world around us through media and through technology. I love it. I, I, I use technology every day of my life. But here's what I'll never subscribe to. That somehow a podcast is a substitute for the local church. Friend, the day that we think somehow some audio message from a pastor 1,000 miles away, 2,000 miles away, 3, 
thousand miles away is somehow a substitute and that's my pastor, friend, you've mistaken. He can enrich your life. He can bless your life. You can buy a book of his. Do that. Bless that ministry if you feel like that's blessing you. But let me tell you something. Nothing will subscribe to being what the local church must be to each other. I'm calling us as a church to realize that it's very easy to start getting words from everybody else and everywhere else. And now, more than ever, we have a lot of voices that we can subscribe to. Subscribe and like, too. Right? A lot of videos. Media has changed. We don't even have to leave our house to, to shoot, to get a haircut anymore, even. We, we, we can order our food, we can order our Uber, we can order Uber Eats or DoorDash or any other dash of, of any, hello? Food Dash, DoorDash, MedDash, Car Dash. You don't even have to go to a dealership. You can go right online, Look, I'm gonna buy a car. Ready? Okay, I bought a car. It's going to show up on my front door. They're going to... Right on the ground. There it is, my car. And in the same way, we're subscribing to the idea that somehow I can be pastored and loved and build a community on just on podcasts and all these voices. So what happens? With all these voices comes all these doctrines. With all these doctrines comes different beliefs. And what happens? Now I'm flooded with one pastor telling me this and one teacher telling me that and one person telling me this. And what is that? That sounds to me... A great number of teachers are around you. Now listen, I'm not against podcasts. I think we have podcasts, and it's phenomenal. It's great. But it's no substitute. And six other podcasts is no substitute for having someone speak into your life either. So are you following me so far? So what is doctrine? So what are they doing here? Instead, people have suited their own desires. So let me pick and choose the, the sermon I want to hear. That's the beauty, right? You go on YouTube, you be like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Scroll, scroll, scroll. I don't want to hear that. Oh, I want to hear that. Boop. And somehow that is what I'm served. Listen, there's no room for the Holy Spirit there. There's no room for the Holy Spirit to work. If Everything that I want, I pick. How many of you ever walked into a church service, here or otherwise, and you didn't know what you needed, but when you walked out, you said, I needed that? Anybody ever been in a service like that? I needed that. That possibly couldn't have happened if you were at home clicking. Because you would have been like, right now, media or Netflix? I don't know. So is there better description for what is happening in our world today than 2 Timothy 4.3? My, my, my. So let me, let me inform you what doctrine means, for, just to put everybody on the same page. Doctrine means a, a belief uh, or a set of beliefs held and taught by the local church or the church in general. So every one of you, whether you like it or not, you have doctrine in your life. You have things that you believe. And so what you should do is always enforce or reinforce the things that God is teaching in his word. Amen? Because we want in our own mind to do what we want to do. Doctrine helps suppress the enemy's plans and my own thoughts and puts God's plans on the front line. Amen? So it's important that we put God's word on the front line. So 
I, in, in light of last week, I was so blessed. How many were blessed by this series so far? And, and my wife last week sharing the word. How many were encouraged by that? That good stuff? Seeing through the lies. And, and I talked with her um, yesterday. I had this conversation. I said, babe, man, what you hit this weekend, this past week was awesome. I want to continue in that vein for a few moments. Can I share with you some stats and statistics? In fact, what I really want to do is I want to continue the lie truth idea. Okay? Instead, what we're calling it is culture versus data. Culture versus data. Because I don't want it to just be my opinion. I want some of this to be shown by data, official data, that I didn't come up with or I didn't write down and say, hey, this is what I believe. But like official data, some of it from Barna, some of it from the Institute of Family uh, Association and things of that nature. These are, some of these are Christian, some of these are not Christian, some of these are just general. Uh, and so let's talk about them for a few moments. Can we do that? So let's talk about it for a moment. Here's what culture says. Culture says evangelical Christians aren't really pro-life. They're just pro-birth. They don't care about babies after they're born. I've heard this. I've literally heard people get on and say, Christians don't care about life after it it comes to uh, a baby is born. They just care about the life in the womb. And after that, they really don't give a rip. They've literally, I've literally heard people say that with my own ears, not hearsay. Instead, the data has shown opposite. Are you ready? Data shows that conservative Christians adopt more children than any other population segment. In fact, more than doubling the norm. U.S. households, 2% of U.S. households in generic form adopt, uh, adopt children. When in fact... Christians, according to Barna Research, a 2013 report, shows that 5% of conservative Christians adopt life and help people at a young age, either right out of the womb or early in their life. So this idea that somehow Christians are all talk just when the baby's in the womb, no, it's not. The facts show very different. The facts show that Christians are in fact a high part of the people adopting adopting children in this day. Another culture note. The church is sexually repressive and anti-sex. The whole push for purity thing is, is somehow we're anti-sex. Can I tell you something? That the data has shown that church-going conservative Christians are in the category with the most fulfilling sex lives. Why? Because they know who their spouse is, they know who their love is, and they live and they move and they, and they, they operate in that respect. And so we were going we're gonna to provide these stats. It's very difficult, I understand, for you to read it where you're at probably. It's a little tricky to read, but um, we have provided a graphic for that. We will have it online as well, and you'll look at that, and, and I believe that you will see for yourself what we're talking about. Again, data, not just culturally people saying certain things and we're supposed to believe it, but data showing otherwise. The third thing, evangelicals don't care about the poor, they just care about political power when in fact the data has shown different. Data has shown that church-going Christians are exponentially more generous to the poor with both time and money than the rest of the population. Why? Because Christians understand we're supposed to love God and love people. The number is staggering. Somehow the church is looked upon as all they do is want, 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 when in fact 
the church is about giving, and it always has been. The, the liberal media will tell you that somehow Christians, all they want is your money, when in fact Christians are the ones supplying so many people's needs. Here's the difference. We don't gloat about it, <laughs> right? It's hard to stat someone that hasn't told you. You realize that even these numbers are skewed? That there's no possible way for us to know every Christian that gave? So let me do this for a second. Just humor me. Humor me. If you've ever given something to someone and did not toot your own horn, raise your hand. You can't raise your hand. I understand some of you can. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's things that I have done and given, and I'm going I'm to start it. I want to be clear. It's not a trick question, because I know it seems that way. But it's not. If you are a person that has given to someone, but never sought to be known, raise your hand, honestly. God knows, and I'm not asking you what it is, but you've done it. You never told anyone? Here's the truth. That makes the number even higher. So while the data shows that that's not true, Religious people are very generous in giving. The numbers should be even higher. Because Jesus taught us, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's biblical. So, while we provide a graphic, I believe that charitable donations are through the roof, really, compared to the world. And you think, you would think that for a moment that the people that have the most money are the most philanthropic, what's the word I'm looking for? That word. (laughs) Philanthropic. Philanthropic, right? You would think that because they have more money, they give more. Not always the case. Sometimes the people with the least give the most because they know what it's like to be in want. Culture says the church is morally backwards and bad for society. Can I tell you? That is not the truth. Data shows that the church is awesome for society, and the higher the church attendance in the community, the lower the burglary, larceny, robbery, assault, and homicide happens in our communities. Stats have shown this, that the more the church is involved in the community, the more people in the community are involved in the church, they work hand in hand, all those things tend to drop. That's what the data shows. Culture says the church is irrelevant and ideologically emotionally harmful for raising children. Data shows that regular church attendance significantly decreases all three of the big three dangers of adolescence, depression, and substance abuse, as well as sexual promiscuity. The people that are involved in church have lower levels and percentages of these things. So why are we being lied to, and better yet, listen to me, Why are we believing this lie and putting up with it? The church is the greatest organization on planet Earth, bar none. Is that true? How many believe that to be true? See, but there's a lot of voices out there that will tell you a lot of things, Uh, whether it's the news or people at work or no, I don't really, I'm not going to consider myself a religious person because the church is full of hypocrites. Or the church is always asking for money. Or the church is this. Why? Some of that is just regurgitated or reverberated or echoed from what their parents told them. 
Some of those people never step foot in a good, godly, Bible-believing church of people that loved them and showed them the love. Some people just have never had that experience. My prayer is that when you walk into these doors, you feel loved and accepted, welcomed. I, my prayer is that you met two or three people before you even made it to your seat. That two or three people said, welcome to freedom. They care about you. They never met you, but they know you're here and you matter. There's a lot of voices out there. How many agree with that? So here's what I want you to understand something. Everyone has the opportunity to speak, but not everybody should have an audience. <laughs> Is that true? Come on, that'll preach by itself. Some of you are like, that was worth the price of admission. Everybody should have the opportunity to share their peace, but not everybody should have an audience, and that audience should not include you sometimes. Hello? Right? Come on, that'll preach. Especially you. Because sometimes we have to realize that, man, I don't even, sometimes I shouldn't just listen to other voices. That other voice is sometimes me. How many of you guys had to talk yourself out of doing something dumb? Because your flesh was really, really good at it. Right? Hello? Come on, fellas. Fellas, ladies are the ones that keep us alive. Why is the death rate for men so much lower than the women? Because the women are trying to talk us out of doing something dumb and killing ourselves by doing something. Watch, honey, I can do this. I can juggle chainsaws. Watch this, sweetie. They show up at church like, you know. There's a lot of voices out there. So I want you to hear something. Study shows that when you live to age 70, during your lifetime, if you're an average talker of about 1,600 words per day, <laughs> that's average, but it's a little more for some, <laughs> you would have spoken three, listen, at just 1,700, 1,600 rather, you would have spoken 350 million words in your lifetime, just by the age of 70. Some of you are like, Pastor Tony, I don't have a newsflash for you. I spoke 350 million last week. <laughs> and some of you are like, I have a spouse, and she has spoken 350 million this morning before we showed up at church. <laughs> okay, testify. Okay, don't testify. Somebody's getting in trouble. Okay. But you hear what I'm saying? Everybody's got something to say, but not everybody should be heard. Is that right? Some of you are like, preach it, pastor. At the end of our life, the final words that we say matter. Amen? So let me, let me kind of bring this to the surface because a person who is dying, if you've ever been in that situation where someone is saying their last few words, I, I would say that you probably pay a lot of attention to that person. Because their dying words are the words that really matter most at the end of their lives. And so they also represent the things that are pressing on their heart. I've been in both those situations, whether it's someone I know and love, or just someone I know as a friend or a family member that I just, maybe just met. I realize that those last words that they speak hold a lot of weight. 
Oftentimes, they're not asking for the keys to their car or their bank account number. What they're asking for is that cousin, that brother, that sister, that relative that they had an argument with, and they want to make it right before they leave this earth. So today, we're talking about a gospel writer by the name of Luke, and he talks a little bit about what Jesus had to say at the end of his life. And I wanted to bring that because when you talk about truth, you can't talk about truth without registering who is truth, and that truth is Jesus. And so Luke talks about a couple things on the cross that are very important. So allow me to just kind of bring this to the surface a little bit. When Jesus spoke for the first time on the cross, he wanted to give one, us one last, watch this, instruction about forgiveness. What did he say to the Father when he was on the cross? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Ten words that will echo in eternity and change our lives forever. Why? Because in his final words, Jesus had one thing in mind, and that's forgive them. Because in his, in his life, he saw good. Jesus saw good, but he also saw evil. And he taught good, but he also taught one that would deceive him. Mm. Maybe not deceive him. Maybe that's not the right words. Betray him. And in that, he didn't teach them differently. Are you understanding that nowhere in Scripture does it show us that Jesus taught Judas differently? Not one time do we see how he said, all of you, except Judas. Judas, go over there and get me something else. And while you're over there, I got to talk to you guys. Never once do we see Jesus, he taught Judas equally. Why? Because Judas had a choice. The truth is available to everyone no matter where they are in their walk of life. No matter how many times or whatever plans you have to deceive friends or no matter what plans you have to make something happen, follow me now. I need you to understand something, that Jesus Christ was about the Father's business. And when he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. You with me? He was branding us as the people of God to always consider forgiveness. That's truth. Oh, it's not easy. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness and forgetfulness are not the same thing and they shouldn't be partnered. Because I can remember certain things doesn't mean I'm living in unforgiveness. Are you with me? So Luke 23 says this. Let's talk about truth. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself, from, uh, save yourself and us. But verse 40, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting our deeds done. This, uh, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered and watch this. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in 
paradise. What do he say? Today I tell you the truth. So let me give you some background real quick. On this day, Jesus' crucifixion, he's not being put to death by himself. He's got one guy to his left and one guy to his right. And the Roman garrison assigned the executions of these two criminals beside him. One of the criminals, his dying words are full of bitterness. The other criminal, his dying words are remorseful. The first criminal obviously had no desire (laughs) to get things right. He just wanted to say, get us out of here if you're so strong. Get yourself down. The other one was like, dude, you have no idea. We deserve this. He doesn't. So here's my point. Number one, three points. Point number one, here it is. Missing the truth brings you down the wrong path. Here's truth right in front of them. And one says, get yourself down if you're so strong. The other one's like, you're missing it. You're missing it. Do you see where I'm going with that? One caught it, one missed it. The very words of Jesus, I tell you the truth. You see, those words should be very familiar to us. Why? Because Jesus uses those exact same words, I tell you the truth, 78 times in the Gospels. 78. Jesus wants to make a point. He is telling us truth. And we'll find Jesus concerned about his people. He would tell them when there was something he needed to tell them and something they needed to remember, I tell you the truth. Let's look at Romans for a moment. Romans chapter 1 verse 25. They exchange, and this is where I got my title from, they exchange the truth of God for a what? A lie. And worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Talking about people who have turned their backs and served the created things instead of the creator himself. Can I tell you something? If truth does anything, truth confronts. Truth confronts. If you know something's not right, you confront it. Church, can I tell you we need to be more understanding in that respect but I don't want to offend anybody or step on toes if that was the case Jesus sinned a lot because he stepped on a lot of toes but that's not a sin to call somebody out on something and talk to them and say listen brother you're wrong I love you but you're wrong sister I love you but you're wrong that that takes real guts and real love truth takes guts truth confronts truth goes at it and tells you how it is I don't have the time and I don't have you enough hours in a day or in a week rather to just dance around some ideas and then close in a prayer I have to tell you that the world is lying to you and telling you that Christians are this and the church is that and the Bible is this and God is that That religion, organized religion is broken. Guess what? Every institution on earth is broken. But I promise you, God 
plus one broken institution is better than no God and a broken institution. Yes, we are all broken. But last I checked, a disco ball is a bunch of broken glass put together. And that's a lot of fun. (laughs) The world did that have to do with anything, Pastor Tony? (laughs) Think about it for a moment. Bunch of broken glass put in one place, shines light and moves. Why? Because we're better together. We're better together. And if we have the truth, and the truth is in us, we have something so much better to offer the world than anything else. So why accept the lies so easily? The world is accept lies so easily. Why? Because sometimes the lie feels more stable than the truth. If we're honest, it seems more stable and comfortable, and we can earn, if we can just earn our way to heaven, we will feel better about this. The whole gift of God is difficult for us to understand. That's how come you look at all the religions in the world, and most every single one of them are for us to understand that somehow God says, heaven is not yours because of anything you did. Heaven is yours because of what he did, and that's what matters. And that's hard for us to grasp. So why believe the lie? Well, somehow, let me, I got to earn my way. I got to earn my way. Can I tell you something? You're not earning anything. You're working, and that's great, but that's not earning you heaven. Jesus Christ did that already. How many are grateful for that? Come on, how many are grateful for that? Yes? Well, the other reason why we believe the lie is because sometimes the lie makes us look good and feel better. Right? If I can just do something, I'll feel better about myself. And because I feel better, God feels better about me. Can I tell you something? Obedience is how God feels better about you. <laughs> not the number on the check that you write. Not how many times you did this or how many times you showed up at church. Those all contribute to the how you love God and we're obedient. So when we say you should be in church, you should be connected, you should be in fellowship, that's to add to your obedience so that your obedience will please God. Not that somehow you can keep record and somehow God is saying, okay, you went to church. Out of 52 weeks, 47, that is acceptable. That is 94% attrition rate. You kept with it, good job, you are now approved. 94% is not too bad, right? How many know that you could go to church 94% of your life and still not know who Jesus is? Right? It's a true story. Some of you met people that have been to church 94% of their lives. And then you're like, there's no Jesus there. There's no Jesus there. They just, they're really good at religion. Point number two. Jesus dealt with our sin and remembers us. How many are glad that he remembered us? He took that sin and our punishment. He took that all and he bore it and justified us through his death. He remembered us and he dealt with sin because we couldn't. Look at me. We could not. We could not bear the weight of sin. We could not take on forgiveness. Here's what Jesus didn't do. Jesus does not look at the second criminal and say to him, 
that wasn't that bad. Don't be so hard on yourself. You only stole a few things. Sure, you're dying for it, but hey, cheer up. He acknowledged that sin is sin. He acknowledged that he repented. He acknowledged, you know what he said? Today you will be with me in paradise. He acknowledged that what he was saying was genuinely a repentance. Remember me. When most people, watch this, his own disciples had forsaken him at this point. And here's a criminal, a hardened criminal facing the death penalty is believing Jesus. It's a bad day when criminals believe Jesus more than this church. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go look the other way and pretend you didn't do that or pretend you didn't say that. He allows us to make decisions for ourselves. Now, how many ever made a bad decision? Raise your hand. Some of you that didn't raise your hand, raise the other hand now because you just lied and you made a bad decision. We're full of bad decisions sometimes, right? Some of you are like, Jesus didn't cast off like it didn't matter. So we got to be careful. And, and I remember we were going through this. And Pastor Corey, you and I and a couple others, we went through this series. Um, and it talked about how we got to be careful not to, mis- not to misword or misdefine sin as a mistake. Because a mistake is just oops. Sin is willfully and deliberate in most occasions, right? When we deliberately do something we know God asked us not to do. That's sin. If we didn't know, God looks at us and, and, and he helps us do that. And, and I believe in some ways there's, there's, there's elements that we're not responsible for what we didn't know. And then he allows us to know and now we're responsible. Right? But he dealt with us and he remembers us. How many are grateful for that? Today you will be with me in paradise. But there's a parallel, real quick, I want to share this with you, and I'm going to close in just a few moments, but there's a parallel in this point here that I want to bring, and that's between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph and Jesus have some similarities. Now, allow me for a moment to just kind of put that to the surface. If you're a Jew, this scene will remind you of the Old Testament scripture concerning Joseph. How many remember Joseph? Joseph, yes? Dream, coat, pit, palace, (laughs) famine. Ringing a bell? Okay, so... Joseph and Jesus. Joseph was falsely accused of something he did not do. Joseph. Jesus was accused of something he did not do. So we're seeing the Old Testament and the New Testament. It rains on the just and the unjust. And there are times that even Jesus himself was caught in situations that he didn't do anything and he didn't deserve. Look at me. Everyone look at me. Some of you are going through things you didn't deserve. Some of you are going through things you did not ask for. And I need you to hear me closely. That does not mean that you did something wrong. Sometimes it's a consequence. And that's very real. Sometimes we go through problems and things in our lives because it's a consequence to our decisions. But sometimes... I mean, Joseph and Jesus are great examples, aren't they? 
The dude just had a dream. He didn't ask for this dream. Right? He didn't ask to get thrown in a pit. He didn't ask to get betrayed and forgotten in the prison. Nor did Jesus. Joseph. In prison, Joseph interprets the dreams of the baker and the cupbearer about the future of death and life. Isn't that funny that Jesus was on the cross and he depicted their future of death and life right there and then? He didn't say anything to the one that was like completely ridiculing, but he looked at the one and he gave him life instantly. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Awfully similar to the Joseph idea in the Old Testament where he prophesied that one would live and one would die. Are you with me? So we're seeing that parallel there too. Truth. Truth confronts. Truth tells us how it is, even if we don't like it. It confronts. Joseph, Joseph, tells the cupbearer to remember me when you are free, and he forgets him. Ever been forgotten? Don't raise your hand. It's true. We've all been there. The criminal tells Jesus, remember me, and Jesus remembers him. So we look constantly at the cross, and we see truth there. Last thought, Jesus confirms that eternity is real, and this is where I'm closing with this thought. There's some people, and there's some people that subscribe to this idea, that hell is a metaphor. Hell is not a real place. There are people that believe this. Can I tell you something crystal clear? And I need you to hear my words. As real as the seat you're sitting on this very moment, God is more real than that. You say, how can he be more real? Because you can sit on a seat and find it to be firm. Someone else can sit on a seat and find it a different, and they can all have different views of that. God is more real than that seat you're sitting on because he is truth, and truth never wavers. It is what it is, and God is truth. Are you with me? How many are grateful for the fact that we serve a God who is all truth, all knowing, all surpassing, all-powerful, and he never changes. Amen? Come on. He never changes. So what's my thought? In 2014, seven of 10 Americans believe that heaven is not a literal, excuse me, let me say, in 2014, seven out of 10 Americans believed in a literal heaven. And only six out of ten believed in the literal hell. So more people believe in heaven than people believe in hell. Friend, if you believe in one, <laughs> it's a package deal. But more people want to be positive. More, I want to be positive. I want to stick to positive. If you don't stick to truth, that's not positive. If you don't accept truth, it's not positive. What you're doing is you're blanketing that lie with something that looks like truth. And that's not okay. For example, here, in other countries, the numbers are far fewer. For example, only a minority of the population in Germany, Norway, Australia, Great Britain, Sweden, Denmark, Canada, France, Spain, Japan, and Belgium said that they believe in heaven. Small number. And I know that, not just by statistics, I know that by talking to people literally in Belgium. 
watching and seeing literally in Europe, walking around and seeing how hedonistic and dark and sinful things are praised as this is who we are. Can I tell you something? If, if the world can hold up sin and say, this is who we are, why are we so afraid and ashamed of holding up the gospel and saying, this is who we are? Are you with me? What happens when we start actually believing God for truth? Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity is real, my friend, and I'm telling you today that God is coming back for his church, and we have to know truth because every day we're living a set of beliefs, and if it's not rooted in truth, then guess what it's rooted in? Lies. If it's not rooted in truth, it's rooted in lies. And so my question today is I really wish I can go across the room and 10 out of 10 people believe in a very real heaven and a very real hell. But there might be somebody here that doesn't. Can I tell you something? You don't have to take my word for it. But but Jesus Christ was very specific. That hell was tossed into the lake of fire. And that today you will be with me in paradise. These are things that Jesus said. And with that, that's enough for me. Amen? That's enough for me. I'm going to believe truth over the trends of this world. I'm going to believe that I cannot exchange the truth of God for a lie. I'm not going to exchange the truth of God for a lie. There's a world, a very real world, lying today to many people. Do not fall for it. Trust him through these difficult times. Trust that I'm not going to set myself up and exchange the truth of God for a lie. What does that mean? I'm not going to have 16 voices telling me 16 different things. I want to go to his word and let let his word help me and guide me to know. And I'm going to choose to believe God instead of believing the lies of this culture today. Father, thank you that we can trust you in all that we do. Thank you that we can believe you for all things. I thank you that while we look at culture, we can look at data and we can see truth. Lord, thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you that the church of Jesus Christ is way more than the culture says it is. Thank you that we get to be a part of that. Thank you that we get to bless people, change people's lives. And Lord, I know there are people listening to me right now, God, that they've done so many things for you and nobody's noticed them. I ask you today that, God, you would notice them. And I know you already have, God, but would you just embrace them and let them know everything that they've done has not been for naught. 
but instead today encourage build up this church build up not this as our just our church but this church that you call your bride build us up that Lord God when you return you will look at us and say well done